All right, good morning. So as Corey just said, my name's Brad Rogers. Um, I've been going to New Life for about nine years now. Um, and Nate is, again, he's out of town there in Louisiana. So long story short, you're stuck with me this morning. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Today we are going to continue our study in the book of Acts. Um, I love the book of Acts. It's something that I really get a lot out of. I get a lot out of narrative in the Bible in general. And Acts specifically just because it shows what the early church was concerned with, which then kind of indicates to us what we should be concerned with. So I really like that we're going through it. One of the challenges with going through the book of Acts, as we, my wife and I found out when we were going through it with the youth group, is that it is really long. So if anyone's been paying attention, we've been doing Acts for about a year now, and we still have 10 chapters left after today. So we're in it for the long haul. It's okay. But every once in a while, we need to have a reminder of what's happened, where we're going, what's, give a little foreshadowing what's going to happen. So we have a, I have a video this morning. It's a video that we shared with the youth group that uh, became one of our favorites. So we're going to watch a video called The Book of Acts in Three Minutes. In my former video, Theophilus, I explained the life of Christ in three minutes. Now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. After being crucified, Jesus comes back to life and hangs out with the apostles. He tells them that they will receive the Holy Spirit and be his witnesses. Jesus takes off. The disciples are gathered together on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit arrives. Tongues of fire hover over them, hence the logo. The disciples speak in tongues. Peter preaches the first sermon. 3,000 people get saved. God, one, Satan, zero. The end of Acts chapter 2 is written, providing mission statements for churches in the 21st century. Peter heals a lame man and preaches another sermon. Another 2,000 people get saved. Peter and John are thrown in jail. They're released. Peter and John celebrate with the other believers and pray for continued boldness. God rocks the house, literally. Ananias and Sapphira lie about their offering to the church and are struck dead. Contributions skyrocket. The apostles preach again. They are thrown in jail again. An angel releases them. They preach some more. The apostles nominate seven deacons to look after widows and orphans, including Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Stephen is stoned. Present at the stoning is a young man named Saul. We'll come back to that later. Persecution breaks out, believers scatter, things look bad for the church. Or do they? Wherever the believers go, they preach the word, thus fulfilling the Great Commission. God to Satan, still zero. Philip meets a eunuch, the eunuch is baptized. Meanwhile, Saul is on his way to persecute believers in Damascus when Jesus appears. Saul is blinded, Saul is healed. Saul repents and begins preaching to the same people he intended to persecute. God three, Satan, well, you get the idea. Peter has a vision of unclean animals. Peter has an encounter with unclean Gentiles. He gets it. God has extended salvation to the Gentiles. Major game changer. Herod is eaten by worms. Barnabas and Paul start working together, traveling and preaching the word. By the way, I'm going to call Saul Paul now. I don't have time to explain why. Still with me? In Lystra, crowds attempt to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. They refuse to be worshipped and are stoned. The Lystrians are a tough crowd. Paul and Barnabas survive. Paul and Barnabas part ways. Paul and Silas team up. Timothy joins Paul and Silas. Paul circumcises Timothy. Paul receives a vision of a man from Macedonia asking for help. The party leaves for Macedonia. Spoiler alert, they are thrown in prison yet again. They sing. An earthquake loosens their shackles, but they stick around to lead the jailer to Christ. Yada, 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 more preaching. In Troas, Paul preaches for so long that a man falls asleep and plummets out a window to his death. The man is resurrected. Paul preaches some more. The man wishes he was dead. Paul returns to Jerusalem, where he is promptly arrested again. He is visited by the Lord, who assures him that Paul will testify about him in Rome. Paul feels better. Paul is transferred to Caesarea, where his case is caught up in red tape for two years. Finally, Paul appeals to Caesar and is put on a fast ship to Rome. The shipwrecks. Paul is bitten by a snake. At last, Paul makes it to Rome. 
He is placed under house arrest and continues to preach the gospel while awaiting trial. And that is all we know of Paul's story. Somewhere in there, he finds the time to write a few letters. Today, they comprise much of the New Testament. The New Testament is also where you'll find the book of Acts. The end. I love that video. I find myself watching it often. So, t today we're going to continue our study in Acts. So we're in, cha in chapter 20 of Acts. So if anyone doesn't have a Bible who would like one, please raise your hand and an uh, usher will bring you one. Um, for an usher? Usher? An usher? Like not the musician, like the actual... Okay. That would, that would be even more confusing. So, for those keeping track, the last time that Nate preached on Acts, he actually did do uh, chapter 17. So, we are going to be a little bit out of order. So, for those of you who take notes and don't like them out of order, I apologize. <laughs> Nothing we can do about that. But uh, it just kind of worked out that, um, you know, we had some special services. Corey had something that he wanted to share last week that wasn't in Acts. So, we just kind of got out and, you know, I was assigned this in June. So, it kind of threw, threw us off a little bit. But that's okay. What I wanted to talk about today is kind of one of the larger themes in the book of Acts, um, and actually we'll touch on chapters 18 and 19. So when Nate gets back, um, people shouldn't be too lost. All right, so one of, the, one of the main themes of the book of Acts is the concept of travel. Um, as I was preparing, I thought about how much travel has really changed in the last 10, even just in the last 10 years. Uh, not to shock any of the younger people here, but there was a time before GPS. You actually had to be able to read a map and be able to get there. Uh, you could ask people, too. That was another alternative to a map. Um, but I, I remember when I was a kid that if we were going to go on a long trip, my parents would have to call AAA and get a triptych. Anybody remember triptychs? Yeah. They're like those steno pads that had printed out turn-by-turn -turn directions for you. They were pretty novel. You'd, just, you'd, get to, you'd do your turn, and then it'd say, okay, your next thing's in 500 miles, and then you'd use the tripodometer, which is not just used to calculate your gas mileage. You'd hit that, and then you'd know when your next turn was. And as a kid, it was fun to flip the pages a couple times just to make sure your parents had no idea where they were. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty high-tech at the time. So even today, I, I do try to limit my use of GPS. I try and limit it basically to the first time I go someplace or if I'm going to be on a long trip. And the reason I do that is because I really want to, when I'm someplace, kind of have a lay of the land, know where I'm going, know how alternate ways to get places. So usually I'll go someplace once or twice and then I'll pull up a map and just kind of look at the overview and say, oh, okay, so that connects to this other road that I also know and kind of get an idea and try different things so that I can kind of figure stuff out. Um, I think we can fall into that trap. We can fall into kind of a similar trap with the Bible when we get to these passages that have lots of places and things that talk about that, yeah, I have no idea where that is, so I'm just going to ignore it and just kind of blow past it, and it's fine. It doesn't affect that much. And, you know, I do that, so I understand. But I think, you know, Paul has gone on two missionary journeys already by the, by the time we get to chapter 18 of Acts. So I figured it would be helpful um, to take a step back and look at where he's going to go on his third missionary journey. So I have, I'm going to call this the... Where's Paul? A search and find adventure. So, so if anyone was here the last time I preached, that is a picture of Paul from the Visual Bible. And guilty confession, that's the first thing I worked on when I started preparing for my sermon. It was, it was the thing that I was the most excited about. I don't, I don't know if that's what that says about me. But, 
All right, so here's a map showing where Paul went on his missionary journey. Uh, it's modern-day Turkey is kind of the main area that he's going to travel through, a little bit through Greece. So he starts in Acts 18.23. He starts in Antioch. Um, he's had stayed in Antioch for about a year, and he's going to head off on this journey. Uh, it's traditionally dated around 53 A.D., um, comparing to the, the resurrection of Christ was around 30 to 36 A.D., kind of how, depending on how you time stuff. So it's about 20 years after the crucifixion of Christ uh, that he's going to start this third missionary journey. Um, in 1823, it tells us that he's going to go through the region where Lystra is, through Galatia. Um, so when we hear the phrase Galatia, it's really talking about a region. It's a Roman province, kind of up in the northeastern side of, of, of where Turkey is now. 19.1 tells us that he arrives in Ephesus. I did use the opportunity to use all the animations that I can never use at work. Um, so just bear with me on that. I know, right? Um, so it took Paul a year to travel this distance. Uh, it's about 700 miles. So just perspective, from here to Cincinnati, Ohio is 700 miles, and it would take about 11 hours to drive. So, you know, it's a pretty long distance even for us to travel today. Uh, let alone back then. So I spent, a, I spent a little bit of time trying to figure out why he's going on a missionary journey. Like, what is the purpose? Because without knowing why, it's just kind of like, yep, he did stuff, and stuff happened, and then other stuff happened, and some stuff didn't happen. So I really, I really dug into uh, the purpose of his journey. Uh, the first one, the, I, I came up with two things, basically. Uh, the first thing that I noticed was that um, it talks a lot about he went around strengthening disciples and encouraging people. So one of the main goals was to go through Galatia, where he had planted most of these churches, and, you know, into Greece and all that area, where he planted all these churches and really just encouraged the disciples and people there. So that's, that one's pretty straightforward. The second one was a little bit, I had to dig a little bit deeper. It's not something that, it's something that kind of jumps out in different letters in the bio, biographical portions. And, you know, it's a verse here, a verse there kind of thing throughout all of the, the epistles. So... I thought it would be kind of fun to walk through that. So if we look in Galatians, uh, the book of Galatians was written just before um, he started off on this journey. We have this verse in 2, 9 and 10 that says, James, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do. So. You know, in the context of this discussion, you know, if I was studying Galatians by itself, I could think to myself, okay, um, you know, I'm supposed to remember the poor. I'll pray for them. You know, that's one way that we could take that. But I think that there was a deeper meaning here and deeper thing that Paul wanted to do with this. Because if we're talking in the context of James, Peter, and John, those were the leaders of the Jerusalem church at the time. Um, the Jerusalem church had had kind of a rough go of it. We saw some of that in the video. Um, they had, that's where the persecution is the heaviest. Uh, there were times when they were, they were scattered and s sent all over the place, which is especially difficult because many of the people in the church sold everything they had and, you know, were living communally. So when they were scattered, they were lots, lots of them were left with absolutely nothing. So they had, they had nothing to their name. So Paul really took this, and, and I think he took it more than just, um, more than I think it was originally asked that he remember the poor. Um, his, his plan kind of starts taking shape when you read 1 Corinthians, which 1 Corinthians was written while he was in Ephesus on this journey. So sometime in the three years that he was there, he wrote the f letter of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, he says, 
Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, every, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So he's asking the churches to get involved. He's asking them to set aside money so that we can, he can raise some money for the, the poor in Jerusalem, which, you know, that's awesome. So he's meeting the physical need that they're asking for. But he actually had a couple deeper things that he was also trying to accomplish. So if you look at 2 Corinthians, which also was written while he, about a year after 1 Corinthians was written, um, it, while he's still in Ephesus, uh, chapter 9, verses 12 through 15 say, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So I see two big things in there. First, you know, the people that are giving the money uh, to support the poor in Jerusalem are really, like, that's an expression of thanks to God. So Paul is using, you know, this tasking as a way to, you know, bring people closer to God. And then the people who receive that are going to see Christ in that, and they're also going to be blessed, and they're going to give thanks to God. So it's cool how the, the you know, we talked a little bit about it during the benevolent offering, but, you know, the whole generosity brings up so many connections with God. It's, it's pretty awesome. All right, so there's one other thing that, that Paul was trying to do with this, and it's talked about in the book of Romans, which Romans is written uh, later on in this journey, but it's when he's in Corinth is typically when it's dated. Um, Romans 15, 25 through 27 says, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. All right, so I, I see in this, and kind of connecting with the Second Corinthians verse, I definitely see that Paul is trying to bring together two different sides of the church. You know, if you studied Galatians, or a few weeks ago when Nate preached on Acts 15, um, which talks about uh, a divide that had occurred in the church, you'll know that basically... There were Jewish Christians who believed that for Gentiles to become Christians, they first had to become Jewish. So they first had to be circumcised, and then they could become Christians. And this had caused a lot of problems, had caused a lot of issues. It was putting a lot of things on people that weren't things that Christ called them to do. So they, this is a pretty recent issue that has come in the church. So Paul's taking this as an opportunity to bring these people together. Um, one of my favorite uh, authors is N.T. Wright, and he commented that, this will demonstrate to the Gentile churches that they are part of the same family as the Jewish Christians. And still more important, demonstrate to the Jerusalem Christians that those strange, uncircumcised Gentiles who, like them, have come to believe in Jesus the Messiah, are fellow members with them in God's renewed people, the family defined by their faith in the risen Jesus as Lord. So Paul has taken this kind of small request to remember the poor and he's going to meet the physical need, but he's also going to take it further, and he's going to use it to meet spiritual needs as well and to bring people together. So that really kind of is the backdrop that this whole journey is going on as he goes. 
So with that in mind, when we get to the end of Acts 19, Acts 19 talks about all of his time in Ephesus and the things that happen while he's there. And as is typical with Paul, it ends with a riot. So at the end of the riot, we get into verse, chapter 20. All right? So I'll read, we're going to start with verses 1 through 6 for those who are following along. I'm going to use the map to kind of show where he's going. All right. So when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. So Macedonia, up there, yeah, look at the animation. Um, Philippi and Thessalonica are in Macedonia, so that's, when they, that's what they're referring to. He, tra he traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arriving in Greece. So Corinth is in Greece. Um, they also refer to it as Achaia sometimes, so in that Romans verse that we talked about, it's the same, same area. So he stayed here for three months. Because some Jews applauded against him, um, just as he was about to sail for Syria, which is again where Antioch was, so back to the original place, he decided to go back through Macedonia. So there he is again. And he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia, which uh, Ephesus is in the province of Asia. So that's kind of the region that's talking about. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later, uh, the others at Troas, we jo later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So, oh, there he is. Right. Now, this listing of people might seem kind of random. But if you remember back in, in 1 Corinthians 16.3, Paul said, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to men you approve and send them off with your gift to Jerusalem. So these are the men who are representing the churches that are giving money to the poor in Jerusalem. So um, that's kind of their whole purpose. One, one interesting thing on this, on this section of the, of the scripture is that it, it transitions from Luke using the word he to using the word we. Um, it's, Luke traveled with Paul a lot, so um, he was there for a lot of the things that happened, but he didn't travel with him all the time. So it's believed that in Acts, when he's using the phrase, we, it's, you know, Luke is with Paul at these, as these events are occurring, where when he uses he, he's describing events that he wasn't present for. So at the end of Acts chapter 16, they were in Philippi, uh, which is up in Macedonia, and Paul left and that's when it transitioned from we to he, and now we're back in Philippi, and it transitions back from he to we. So now Luke is traveling with him again. So, kind of, kind of interesting. All right? So then, while they're in Troas, a, a kind of interesting event occurs. All right? So on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third surrey and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him, and said, Don't be alarmed. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the man home alive and were greatly comforted. So... As I was reading, you know, Nate sent this to me and said, hey, I want you to preach on chapter 20, and I'm pretty sure this was why, that he wanted me to talk about this specific story. I'm not sure if he thought something interesting, I would have something interesting to say about it, or if he thought I could have it happen again, and then we could kind of, like, have a recurrence of the, of the scriptures here. 
So I want you to take this opportunity and look to the person next to you and make sure no one's falling asleep. Paul and Chaz, you guys talk to each other, make sure everything's good. Everyone's, no, so I, don't, I just don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want Nate to come back to a mess. So I really just <laughs> want to make sure that that's taken care of. All right, so now, now that we got that out of the way, um, there's two things that I took out of this story. Uh, the first thing that I took, um, Eutychus actually translates to our, our word lucky. So we have at least one layer of irony uh, in the scripture, so that's good. I appreciate that. Uh, the second thing that I took notice from this is that, you know, I think it's easy in our modern mindset to read the story and have it say that he's dead and interpret it as something less than that. You know, earlier in Acts, Paul had been stoned and they thought he was dead, so he, but then he got up and walked away. So I think sometimes we think that, you know, he was hurt, he wasn't doing well, and really that's what they meant when he says dead. And so, you know, kind of in our mind, we lessen the miracle that occurred. And I would caution against that. I mean, I, I, I can't say one way or the other, but I read this as, you know, it is a wee portion of Scripture. Luke is present. Luke is a doctor. I think he's qualified to say if he was dead or not. So my view is that it's, it's correct to view this as an actual miracle rather than trying to talk it down in our minds when we study this and then deal with the fact that a miracle occurred. So that's just kind of my view on that story. All right, so... After 20, uh, after, the, after that occurred, we continue in 20, so we'll bring the map back up. Uh, we went on ahead and the sh to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met at Asos, we took him aboard and we went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived at, off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and the following day arrived at Miletus. So, he's going to show up. There he is at Miletus. Kind of, they're all close together, so I didn't put too many in there. So, Paul decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So, this is the second time on this, in this chapter alone, that Paul is kind of ducking and moving. He had, it sounds like he had a travel plan and then changed it, and then I'm going to meet you here, I'm going to walk here, I'm going to do this other thing. He's, he's very careful about his movements on this latter part of this journey. And I think the interesting thing is, I think it's, you know, we can't confirm this, but most of the commentaries that I read say that they think it's because he was carrying a bunch of money. <laughs> and so he was trying to not be predictable in his movements so he couldn't get robbed. Plus, he's not particularly popular in this region. Uh, there was a riot the last time he was around. So um, I think that there's probably a couple reasons why he's ducking and moving and changing his plans at the last minute. So I kind of found that interesting. All right, so now we're going to enter in the last passage of Acts. And Paul, I'm going to have you click through uh, the next couple slides as I read them. Um, this this, is a, this is a, ends with a, a passage of Paul speaking to believers in the area. Um, and I... I'll try and do it justice in the way that it probably sounded the day that he read it. So, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know I have lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, 
I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds to the church of God, which is he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from our own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you to God to, and to the words of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by, that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him, which grieved them most. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So I think that this, this whole section is kind of an example of the preaching that, that Paul was doing throughout this missionary journey. Um, when, when it says that he's strengthening people, when he says he's encouraging people, I think this is kind of typical. And this has a very similar feel to what you'll see in a lot of the letters that he writes to believers, which is different. You know, you'll notice a difference in tone um, between this type of thing to a believer versus his other speeches and acts that are to non-believers. Um, and it really ties together with um, how his writing goes. So I saw a couple themes in here that I think that we, you know, were applicable to the Ephesian church that we can also make applicable to us. Um, the first thing that I noticed was um, this idea of encouragement. Paul, Paul is, a very, is very good at encouraging people. If you, if you read his letters, if you read what he does in Acts, he is very good at giving people words of encouragement. And I think that the reason why he's so good at that is because he's involved. He's there. Like, he's, he's going to go and he's going to be a part of the riot. He's going to go and he's going to be put in jail if he needs to be. He's going to suffer with them even when people are plotting against him. He is really going to, he is, the whole time has been there and is someone that they can look up to. Um, so, because to me, you know, a word of encouragement from someone I, whose opinion I really value and who I see doing hard work means a lot more than to someone that I don't really know. Not that those words aren't good, but it's just not as effective as those close relationships that we can build. So, you know, what I take from this is that, you know, again, community is a huge deal. Um, it's definitely something that we need to be engaged in constantly within the church. Uh, we, it's not just about getting together and having a good time. It's about getting close, close relationships so when hard times come, we are able to encourage each other and give each other wisdom. Because they will, I mean, as Paul's, as the speech kind of said, it's, they're going to come. So we need to be prepared. So we definitely, like, you know, Corey mentioned that we're starting small groups again in September, and I would definitely encourage people to, to look into those, make sure if there's one that fits, you know, great. If there's not one that fits, don't just give up.
there's probably people who would be willing to, if asked specifically, to lead one at a time that could work. So just keep that in mind as we, we come up to our next session of small groups. The second thing that I took from it is really this idea that Paul keeps talking about following his example. And in studying this and just the, the third missionary journey in general, what I, what the example that I really take is this idea that he's passionate, he's eager. He, he got asked to do something pretty simple, you know, remember the poor. And he took that and he made it his own. He took it and he, he used it to meet the, the physical need that was specifically asked for, but then in addition to that, he found a way to tie it in so that it could be a reflection of Christ and to encourage relationship in Christ and people. So I think, you know, it's easy when you're in a church community to, be, to participate but not be involved, if you, if you know what I mean. Like, it's easy to just say, oh, this is the need, I'm going to go do it, but then leave it at that. And I would encourage everyone here to really think about the things that you're passionate about. Think about the things that are important to you and figure out how those passions and that eagerness can be reflected in the church and things that you're, that you're involved with. Um, if we were a church of people like Paul uh, in his eagerness, we would do huge things for, the, for this community and for you know, Christ in, the, in this world. Um, I'll give you an example in the church. Jesse, I, I always like to point him out. Hey, wave. Yeah, make people uncomfortable. All right. Um, I always think, like, the, the perfect example is, is coffee in the morning. Who here had coffee when they came in? No, fair amount of people, right? That, you know, that's a, that's a thing. That's a physical need that some, like, someone should do it, and that's good. But who here, when they get the coffee, feels welcomed because we have coffee and snacks, and it's set out well, and it's ready? Do, do people feel more welcome because of that? Yeah. I, I do. So, you know, that's an example where we can say, hey, we're passionate about, we're not passionate about making coffee. We're passionate about people feel welcome when they come in the door. And so that's why we do it, not just because we want to have coffee. So again, I appreciate it and I, I, I really value that. And the people doing it before you, I know the Jinx were doing it before, they were doing fantastic too. So I just want to, it's something that, you know, we can take the small things that have to get done and make them mean more than just the actual act that we're doing. The last thing that I saw on Paul's speech was that he knows that when he gets back to Jerusalem that bad things are awaiting him. He knows that it's not going to go well. Um, and you can kind of see, he was not really any, in any hurry to get back. He kept changing his plans to take longer. I read a commentary that, by John Calvin that said he did not rashly run into the midst of danger. Like, he was going to think about it and make sure. He's like, I know this is coming. That doesn't mean I need to be in a hurry for it. Um, and I think, you know, in our lives, there are things that are going to be, like, we're going to get called to things. And some of them are, are, are dangerous for our egos. Those things we can rush into, and that's okay. You know, having conversations with people that we don't think may be embarrassing, you know, that's not really what this is talking about. You know, you should be willing to do those things, and, you know, if you are embarrassed, get embar feel embarrassed afterwards, that's okay. Like, that's not actual pain. But there are going to be times when we're called to do things that are physically dangerous or are things that, you know, we have ex tons of examples that you can probably all think of of people going to China or going to, you know, um, Brother Andrew going behind the Iron Curtain. So there's lots of examples that we could give of people going into physical dangerous things. So we may be called to those things and we should be open to it. And we should pray, we should be in community, 
and we should be listening for the leading of the Holy Spirit to understand if those are really what we're called to. Because sometimes you get this feeling like you should go, but it's not necessarily, it's more just in the moment, and it's not necessarily God calling you. So if that takes discernment and figuring out if that's what you're actually called to. And again, leading back, it goes back to the community aspect. You need people in your lives to be able to talk these things through and make decisions um, that are really what God's calling you to do, um, rather than just rashly rushing into danger, but being willing to if called. So, with that, you know, Paul's here. At about uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 17, he's going to arrive in Jerusalem, and there's going to be some fireworks when he gets there. Um, But, you know, he's willing to go, he's willing to be there, and he's willing to to follow his passions and his eagerness. So with that, I'm going to invite the worship team up, and I'll close us in a word of prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day that we've had together. I just ask that you would uh, bless the people here, watch over those people um, who are traveling and couldn't be with us here today. Um, I just ask that as we go through our week that we're open and willing to, fo- to follow Paul's example and do what God has called us to do and do it with eagerness and with desire because I really think that that's how we as a church are going to affect each other and we're going to affect the community and we're going to affect the world. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.